0: This is The Rich Eisen Show.
1: Kendrick Perkins, what do you see when you look at the Bucks? I see a dumb team. Live from The Rich
0: Eisen Show Studio in Los Angeles.
2: And I say that respectfully, they're missing an IQ. Savage man. The
0: Rich Eisen Show.
2: When Giannis makes the jump shot, watch the Brooklyn
1: Nets fit Earlier on the
0: show, three-time NBA champion B.J. Armstrong. Coming up, Titans head coach Mike Vrabel. Host of the Right Time Podcast, Bomani Jones. Plus, MLB insider Jeff Passan. And now it's Rich Eisen. Hour
1: number two of the Rich Eisen Show on the air right here, smack dab in the middle of June 2021. four two zero four. 204 rich number to the dial here on NBC Sports on Peacock. Get us every single day. Watch us every day. PeacockTV.com. We are free. We're in front of a paywall. We're proud about that. Same thing with streaming us on Odyssey, SiriusXM XM, Channel 211. You can check us out after Dan Patrick and also this Rich Eisen Show radio affiliate. We appreciate your affiliate for having us and we appreciate you having us on your affiliate. Uh, Chris Brockman, Mike Del Tufo in their posts, hey, TJ Rich. Jefferson, good to see yeah. you over there for hour number two. Hello, Rich. Uh, Bolmani Jones of the worldwide leader in sports will be joining us, and by the way, I'm in that I'm in that frame of mind that you like, TJ. I'm over-caffeinated oh, today. Let's go. I know, you always appreciate that when I show up to work over-caffeinated. <laughs> yeah, and plus, you were the Blazers, so I figured you are going to say something wild today. Well, I've got yeah! A head- <laughs> Here we go! You know, home, everybody. Yeah! No, uh, I mean, I've got the Blazer on because I've got a head coach in the National Football League. On, oh, that's so, true. Oh, okay. you know. He's the head coach of the Tennessee Titans, Mike Vrabel. Back here on the program, how are you, coach?
3: Buddy, how are you? How are you, buddy? We're on a Peacock, man. Yes, we're the advertisement.
1: We are. <laughs> we are on Peacock. We're on there. I'm over caffeinated. Are you a coffee drinker, Mike?
3: Do you okay. drink coffee? Huge, huge.
1: How many cups a day? What do you got? What are you?
3: Uh, as many as they'll give me. I like that uh, that triple americano. Okay. Uh, from our wonderful people at the uh, Hillsborough Pike. Starbucks. Okay. <laughs> and uh, they, they are amazing. Uh, I love seeing them every morning uh, with a smile on their face. I do got pre-order. I figured out that pre-order. You know what I mean? You go to the app, yep. leave the house, you walk in. One time it was raining and Cassie actually brought the coffee out to my car. <laughs> of I, I was like ama- I was that, that won me over right
1: there. Of course. Absolutely. How badly did they botch your last name when they spell it or did it just the first name? How badly?
3: Well, you know they, they they know me here after 3 years they they at least got my you know last name figured out okay. coach right. mike on the
1: on the cup. coach so it, mike
3: nice. it feels like home there my it bad like
1: home. of course feels like home fantastic um yeah i've gotten several cups at me today so i'm feeling good um so uh, how how are things what, what where are you now right? are, are you you're you're through mini camps and stuff like that and
3: yeah we finished up today yep players are um you know, working their way out. You know, I mean, on that last day of minicamp, you know, you come in and you have a squad meeting at eight thirty, and you ask a, a show of hands of how many, uh, how many of those guys left their cars running in the parking lot, and <laughs> about seventy-five hands go up. So I said, uh, <laughs> I guess we'll make this short and sweet. Right? Uh, you know, they kind of know the drill. Um, you know, we said, hey, when uh, we're not going bowling, we're not going to go. Skeet shooting we're not going to top golf uh those are things that you guys have fun i have fun watching you guys run so we're gonna go outside and, and run mm-hmm. and then you guys are free to leave and I had fun and I enjoyed myself watching them run so then they <laughs> and they took off
1: <laughs> what do you enjoy watching them run uh, what what what', what enjoy I like you i like that i like watching them
3: see what kind of condition we're in i like i that i enjoy that okay i like it Zep, did Why did Bell- wouldn't you did you Bell- know what i mean like it i'm I, i'm the coach i get i like watching them Work out. Let's be honest, though. <laughs> Belichick, <laughs>
1: Belichick did it to you, so you're passing it on. Essentially, is what you're saying, right? Did Bill do that to uh, you guys?
3: Did he do that to yeah, you? guys? I mean, there's a lot of things. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that I that I do that I learned uh, from my time in New England, and certainly uh, that that was a great resource for me as, as a coach now. But I don't remember us running on the last day. Nice. Maybe maybe we did. I don't even remember. That's so
1: long ago. You blocked it out. <laughs> Maybe that's maybe that's what you did. So what 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 have you picked up from Bill? Did you ever catch yourself saying something? they are like, oh God, I swore myself I'd never say anything like that to a player, and now you're doing that. Yeah, has that ever happened to you?
3: Um, yeah, you know, you get the, you get into this mode where you're like, you know, it's my fault. You know, I mean, maybe I didn't make it clear enough. I, you know, I didn't do a good enough job explaining to you that when it says twelve o'clock on the schedule that it's lunch, like that's what time lunch is. Like, you know I mean? I, I, I it, that's my fault. Like I, I, I screwed that up. You know what I mean? Just, just the over the top passive aggressiveness that we all just laugh at. You're passive aggressive when it comes to that? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. I, I, I try not to be, you know what right. I mean? I, I want to be, you know, honest, direct, uh, you know, and, and be, you know, we don't have a whole lot of time, but then it'll just be like, you know, I screwed that up. You know, I got it. You know, that, that's, <laughs> I, I'll I'll do a better job. Like I'll do a better job of explaining what the expectation.
1: Wow, I didn't expect to ask you if there's something that Belichick instilled in you that you're now passing along. That you would say passive-aggressivity. That's a that you was know, a curveball. I mean,
3: I just I can remember Bill just being the sarcasticness. You know, what I mean, yeah, it's yeah, just the 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 sarcasticness. I mean, I, there's a lot of great things that I've learned from Bill. He's been a great mentor, you know, along with other coaches. But you know, we're. We're, we're, we're competitors now, you know. We 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 are going to compete against his team, and he's going to, you know, compete against ours.
1: Now, I guess then let me go this one, and then we'll we'll move on to the current here and now. Then, uh, Mike Vrabel. If I had told you when you were catching touchdown passes from Brady in the end zone in uh, in 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 big playoff games in the Super Bowl that one day you would be the head coach that would end the Brady Belichick era in New England, what would you have said to that,
3: Mike? Oh, uh, I I mean. Yeah, how long is it going to be till I do it? I guess I don't know. I mean, nice. I always figured I wanted to coach for a while, and
1: you did. You
3: no, know, yeah. I mean, I think I grew up I and mean, my dad was a coach. You know, I mean, I grew up on the bench. I grew up sitting behind the bench. You know, I mean, in high school, you know, basketball gyms and catching my dad's sport coat as he threw it off in the middle of the first quarter and it wrapped around my head. I was like seven, and <laughs> you know, this would always determine you know what kind of mood my dad was in by how early the sport coat came off.
1: And uh, what would what would you say? Uh, I don't know if you've had a conversation with him, maybe not. But Urban Meyer now taking the step into the world that you have uh, inhabited for quite some time, uh, as well as the HC uh, in the NFL. Uh, how do you think he is going to fare in the NFL? Or any advice that you would have for him to go from one step to the next, Mike Vrabel?
3: I mean, Urban's a great coach. He's you know he's proven. I mean, he'll will he'll, he'll figure out you know, what he wants to do with his football team. And that I learned a lot from Urban and worked uh, for him and, and with him for, for two years. You know, and we've talked and we've had conversations, but, you know, that's the thing. When you're you're a head coach, you, you have to, you know, you figure it out and there's certain ways you want to do things that are going to be different than, you know, how other people do it. Or, right. And it's, it's different team to team, you know, and so that's you know, it's like parenting. You know, you, you kind of figure it out as, <laughs> yes. as you go along and, you know, make mistakes, and what would you do better or what would you do differently the next time? You know? I love Urban's it. He's going to figure it out. He's been a great coach for a long time.
1: Like parenting, that is a great answer. Mike Vrabel here uh, on the Rich Eisen Show. Okay, so let's talk about um, uh, Julio Jones, if you don't mind. Um, what, are, what have you seen from him so far, um, and uh, what boxes did they check that you already knew were already checked? But I'll just walk you through that process, if you don't mind walking us through it.
3: You'll hold okay. my hand as we walk through it? Yes. That'll be nice. Well, I mean, I mean we could interlock I, I, in he's some been way. he so professional. I mean, I appreciate <laughs> his professionalism. He's communicated, you know, when he traded for him, It came in, you know, he left, he communicated when he wanted to come back uh, as far as, you know, the, the voluntary stuff. Uh, he's been engaged in meetings, kind of figuring out how we do things. Like I just mentioned, you know, before, you know, every team is different. You know, every team – starts practice a different way every team does meetings a different way some some people ask a lot of questions and you know it just everything is, is different and I think he's been very open to to learning the way that that we do things and um to, to been open to learning what we do and how we do it so that's that's the biggest thing that I'm you know pleased with as, as a coach you know
1: and it's interesting that you you mentioned communicating being one of the first things that you mentioned. What, what do you mean by that? What, some fans might be like, "Huh? Uh, what, what about how important that is?" He communicated to you what, and that you heard what from him.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's just um, the that the battle that we wage. Is, is you know, we ask our guys to to have enough confidence and trust in us to, to communicate things that are going on. You know, outside of football, and that's what we ask of all our players. And so it's like, hey, I've got this going on. I'm gonna take care of this in in, in Atlanta. I'm gonna get some things cleaned up, and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be back there on Thursday. I want to get back out on the field with with my teammates as quickly as possible. And um, you know, that that was just an early example of what he did, and you know, continue to communicate. Um, you know. His, but there's a lot a lot of things that go involved with veteran players and preparing for practice and and what they you know need to be ready uh for for the game and for the season and those are things that you know I try to draw on my experience as a veteran player and the communication that I had you know with the coaches and everybody else
1: well and and that was a part of the conversation at least in the media uh coach about when Julio Jones was seemingly up for the uh, acquiring that uh any team that takes him um will have to understand he doesn't practice as much as other younger receivers because of the amount of practice time that he either missed in Atlanta or his advancing age despite him being still a young man in the real world what what's your expectation level of how much you're going to see Julio practice this fall well we have
3: a plan for we have a plan for for every individual on the football team and sometimes that that plan is different from player to player. Sometimes it's the same. Um, You know, I'm not going to try to determine what that is right now. You know, we'll see uh, how it is when we go along and what our schedule looks like. There'll be a lot of players that, um, you know, have different schedules throughout training camp and, and even into the season. And that's our job. And that's my job to, to be able to manage that, you know, to make sure that they're, they're doing everything that they can to, to help us on on Sunday or whenever we play.
1: But in terms of uh, your 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 uh, plan for the season, have you had a conversation with him about that already? Has that already been broached with you and him in terms of the communication?
3: We, we've had we've had we've had those conversations, but I sure. don't think that we're you know ready to to determine what that's going to look like. I'm not going to try to determine what that looks like uh, from now until. September or October as, sure. the, as the season goes along that change you know I mean I change practice schedules um, routinely throughout the season you know based on a lot of factors and, and when we play and the, and the health of our football team and, uh, and what I think we need what I think is going to be best for the for
1: the team hey, did you notice a jolt maybe amongst the team that uh, the front office and you um, uh, whatever your role was in all of this um, uh, getting aggressive bringing a player of Julio's caliber. And uh, level, I mean, the, the the level of respect that players have for Julio in this league is through the roof. Was there a jolt that you saw on your team once this trade was uh, was completed and he showed up?
3: You know, I don't I don't think we practiced the OTA any better or any worse. I mean, I just you know, my message is that you know, we have to go out and we have to work and and we have to perform. Um, and, and that's that's what I love about football that it doesn't matter the, the draft pick. Doesn't matter what your compensation is, it doesn't matter how young or how old the only thing that matters is what you do when you're out there. You know, we've we've acquired players on the post draft that have helped us win. We've acquired players through trades and free agencies. And you know, we don't care how you get here. We just care what you do when you're
1: here. What are you doing now? What's the next few weeks for you? You gonna take some time? You gonna travel? You gonna
3: go uh, somewhere? What do you got? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm just gonna try to uh you know Unwind a little bit. Uh, try to continue to brush up, you know, um, on our, our training camp and what I want to try to get done. Continue to work through those things. Uh, Tyler's bringing some buddies home here on the Fourth of July, I guess. So, okay. Uh, from college, um, gonna gonna play uh, golf in, in Tahoe in the event. That's wonderful. Oh, event. And, um, okay. And that'll be it.
1: All right. You get know, work. did work. Make sure you don't put one. Uh on somebody's uh, deck out there on that par well, yeah. Three?
3: You know, I mean, last year there weren't any spectators, so they don't stop the ball from going out of bounds. Right here, I hope they have the fairways lined, so that they'll kick it back in. Understood.
1: <laughs> well done. That's why I play golf with the gallery as a human shield. That's what I do. That's it.
3: protect right? the out of bounds. Come on, Thanks, seriously.
1: Buddy. What's your what's your what's your what's your game like though? I mean, what are you what are you do you pipe it? it, it what it, do you it, got? It's
3: up and down. It is so erratic. It's so it's so up and down. I'm a I'm a really good scramble partner. I'm a really two man I'm a really good two man scramble partner. I, that it could be great and it can be god awful.
1: So if I need you if I need you in the short stuff, um, you know it's it's better if you're if you're what like you're approaching on a on a par five. Is that what you're saying? That's that's yeah, that's for yeah, best.
3: Get, get me out there and I'll and I'll try to bomb one out there. But if not, like I I could I could hook it pretty good. All right. You know, roll over, roll them hands over a little bit. <laughs> I I have fun. I enjoy it.
1: All right. So. Well, I'd be remiss if I did before I let you go. Or is there any part of you, and I'm um, seriously, in the next few weeks, that you're planning on literally what your place looks like for vaccinated players and unvaccinated or not fully vaccinated, and that there's a certain spot where these guys go and those guys go? Is that the literally the way that this is going to go for training camp right now, and how well, that affects be, things?
3: You know, John and I will handle that with our ops department, and, right. and we, you know, and our and our trainers and. Yeah, I feel like we did a great job last year. We'll have to continue down the same path for for some of that, and whatever it is that they say that we have to do, and whatever the protocols are, however many weight rooms we need, and however many masks that we need to have available for the players, and however distant they need to be, that's what we'll do. And uh, that's that's all that's all I can say. You know, I mean, we think about it, and uh, we'll be meeting about it throughout the summer.
1: Okay. And uh, and then you keep giving Derrick Henry his workout tips on how to do push-ups uh, <laughs> yeah. with with, lot, with, with uh, resistance bands and 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 balancing balls, right? That's just what you got. Stay,
3: just stay tuned; it'll be back on Instagram. That's what I tell him. I say, just check Instagram and find out if Derek's lifting any weights.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the 21st century head coach, Mike Vrabel. Thanks for the call; greatly appreciate it. Okay, Rich. Thank you. You be well. You be well. Thank you. That's Mike Vrabel, everybody. The HC of the Tennessee Titans, man, that light like coach. He's just a regular guy. <laughs> he who, is. By the way, he's got Super Bowl rings. He's all he
0: does is catch touchdowns. He talks like all. He
3: sounds
1: like every friend I have from Western PA and yeah. you know Oh the whole Ohio. Area. I like Vrabel.
0: I do too, big time. Even I, though
1: he's a Buckeye and all that business, but you know I get along with Buckeyes. I do. You do actually. I really do. Yeah, no, you really do. And that's not even higher register. No, not higher register. You
0: get along with everyone who we've had on the show who has ties to Ohio State. You are very friendly with them.
1: That's because they're winning more and they like talking to me. I just can't (laughs) wait to have the shoe on the other foot. See what happens. Mm. I also like that Rabel, Rabel is a Belichick disciple. Dude, the stuff he was doing—the Jedi mind trick yeah, stuff—he exactly. was doing on the false starts the, and this and sort of business—and and he, he out Belichick, Belichick. Yeah. He knows. He oh, learned yeah, he knows. from the master. Oh, he knows. He's prepared. One of them. Completely prepared.
0: <laughs> He's like Anakin.
1: Oh yeah.
0: He, he learned from Tennessee the
1: best. Titans, man. No plan for Julio. I mean, look—we're July and June. You know, we'll figure it out. But that's the whole point. God didn't practice very much. Part of it might have been like, screw you. You know, you fired my coach. I don't think I'm going to be here anymore. Maybe.
2: eight four four two zero four.
1: 204 rich number doll Beaumont Jones of ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports. Coming up next, Beaumont Jones on the NBA playoffs and more. <laughs> Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts, people. Or as you might know from their jingle, o o o Delighted. The man who needs no introduction, but I'll give it to you. anyway. The legend, Tom Holland. Oh, thank you. you. How are you, Bud? Very good. Thanks. Okay, so what do we have here? Choices, because you know I've never, I've never been on a skateboard. I heard that. Yeah. True so, story. Uh,
0: well, your staff brought sort of a um, spectrum board. This one's straight it? out of, I'd say, like 1982, 83-ish. Get a thumbs up from the owner, Tom And then uh, this one is relatively new it's a little bit it's more like for trick oriented okay so i'd say less stable for you
1: okay we can't have that
0: right right. um i guess mine's kind of in between because i got big feet so i ride a stable board on tight trucks you you actually use your skateboard yeah of course okay so wow all right all right have you ever done any boards Uh, for uh, surf surf, (laughs) snowboard this is a blank slate situation all right so, right. if I were to, let's see, you have to decide which way you stand, first of all. Okay. Right? Okay. So, you're either going to stand with your right foot forward or your left foot forward. Well, I'm, I'm a right handed guy, so. That doesn't just... matter. <laughs> How do you let's, ski? Uh, let's say if so you're, you you're you're, terrible, someone were to no push one. you forward, which one, which foot would you. All right, Yeah, I go. say you're goofy footed. Okay. Like goofy. me. There we go. You're riding my board, you're goofy footed. That's okay. great. All right. So, um, yeah. so what you want to do is put your front foot on the board, a little yes. bit of an angle. Okay. Right? Yes. And then just give it a little push off. And then straighten your feet, your front foot out after it's moving. Okay. And my only advice is to anticipate the
1: motion.
2: Anticipate
1: the motion. (laughs) So I'm going to... Don't fall. Right foot like this. this. Oh my God, this is no good. And then push off with the left? Yeah, and then just lean forward. Make sure you are leaning
0: forward. (laughs) That would be leaning back.
1: (laughs) Is that Uh, what you guys were hoping for? Yeah. Is that the money shot? That's exactly what we were hoping for. I swear I gave him good advice. What a... What a horrible <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but this is what everybody in this room was hoping for. Wow. I'm gonna do it again. It's not right. wow. yeah, okay. yeah. Do it
0: again. Okay, you wow. gotta do it again. You gotta lean forward. It. Lean forward on your front like over your front foot. All right, you're centered more over your front leg.
1: Okay. There you go. That's it. That's it. You got it. I gotta teach my kids to stay all stay on the board. There you go. Look at me. That's it. You're Look skating. At- Tony, hawk everybody. Hey. Hey. High five for perseverance. <laughs> Got to teach the kids to get back on it. But wow. I do need an ice pack. An ice pack, please, somebody. Never been older than that moment. <laughs> Falling off of a skateboard
2: with Tony Hawk, with Tony Hawk yeah. teaching it to me.
1: But that, that That would go for thousands of dollars in a charity auction, wouldn't it? Oh, Tony Hawk teach you how to uh, yeah, skateboard on so. one of his boards?
0: I think so, right? yeah. We could sell that as an NFT, I think. Is our NFT still a thing? I don't know. I mean, hey. That's my problem
1: is I don't know. That's my problem. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm I'm all... By the way, I went all bankrupt on Del Tufo coin. D <laughs> coin. Nice. 844-204-RICH is the number to dial here on the show Um 844-204-RICH, as I said, number to dial. He is uh, one of our favorite guests because we could talk about pretty much damn near anything. And there's a lots to talk about here on this Thursday in the middle of June. The Right Time with Bomani Jones podcast where all podcasts can be acquired. Bomani Jones back here on the show. How you doing, sir?
4: I'm good, man. How about you?
1: I'm better than what the Sixers must be going through. How's that for a transition <laughs> to start us off?
4: <laughs> I have a tendency to antagonize the Sixers loyalists because they had to convince themselves that being abjectly terrible for a long time was for the greater good, you know, so they <laughs> they're they're all in on their team in a much different way because I feel like people want a certain measure of vindication for buying into that travesty that they got into. And now here where they are, right? Embiid's got this knee problem that, like, I don't think that we're just talking about something that's going to be a thing right now. He's playing on a torn meniscus. Like, that's not a good long-term thing to do. The other superstar talent that they have is Ben Simmons, and he seems terrified of the idea of shooting in an NBA game, which is kind of a weird thing to say about an NBA player. They gave $30 million to to Tobias Harris, and he's just being Tobias Harris. Like, he should have played better than he did yesterday, but, I mean, I don't know exactly what it is you think he's supposed to get out of Tobias Harris. And they really taught themselves into like, thinking that this was a team that was going to win the championship. But who knows? It may be a disaster right now. And they ultimately turn into champions. But they look like bombs last
1: night. That is uh, a soliloquy that I cannot argue a single syllable is off at all, Bamani. And the way that you started it is a perfect way. Is that what, what did you say? That being abjectly terrible for a long time was for the greater good, that the trust, the process doesn't wind up. With this being the end result that requires Daryl Morey to come in, um, you know, and and change things around from what Sam Hinkie, his friends, started, like that may actually be the bright shining object in the room for the four, Sixers to have to deal with right now. Yeah,
4: so, like, yeah, so for me, with like the, the Hinkie thing. His tenure was abbreviated, and like you can't, it's easy to lump it all together and then say, like, he's responsible for Mark Dale Fulton. I don't even know who's responsible for that, to be perfectly honest. But that's not on him. He didn't draft Ben Simmons, but he would have drafted Ben Simmons because we all would have drafted right. Ben Simmons under the same circumstances. Correct. But the idea was we can get, you know, the best way to do this is to do this in order to get the caliber of top line talent that is needed to win in the NBA. And they got it, except Embiid, when they got him, was an open box special because he was hurt and has been fairly consistently hurt um, for much of his career. And then Simmons has all the talent, but there seems to be a sort of block that stops him from becoming the player that they need him to be in order for this team-building strategy that they've used to work.
1: So what happens? I mean, you can't dispute also your analysis, Bomani Jones, that Simmons looks like he's afraid to shoot in an NBA game, which is strange to say about an NBA player. All for one in the second half of a game where, you know, they were killing it in the third quarter and then couldn't get anything done properly in the fourth quarter. That is the ultimate. And then also being a liability on the court to allow the Hawks to get the possessions they needed to get back in the game because he can't make a free throw. I mean, that's wild.
4: The free throw thing is weird because he's not the first person that we've seen teams intentionally put on the right. line, right? Like we saw it from Shaq, obviously. We've seen it from, you know, Dwight Howard. Was DeAndre? The guy that got it. Yeah, right. And then DeAndre Jordan, who's not the same caliber player of these guys that we're talking about, but he wound up on the business end of the same strategy. The thing that's interesting about all those guys, though, that's different from Simmons is they went up there and they were in their heads, obviously, when they were shooting the free throws at times but it didn't seem to affect everything else. And so with Simmons, the free throw thing seems to spill over, and then he doesn't want to do anything, and then he's terrified of getting the ball because then they're going to put him on the line. But the truth is, if you go and you hit one out of two free throws every time they do that, that's actually a win. Like, if you can get one point per possession on that, the teams aren't going to keep this up. But if you shoot four for 14, then I don't know why they tried anything else. I would have been trying to sign a free agent in the middle of the game just to get six fouls.
0: (laughs)
1: Um, Bomani Jones here on the Rich Eisen Show. Conversely, though, uh, the performance by Paul George, uh, I don't even know if the word unexpected is proper to describe it. What word do you use to describe it?
4: Oh, no, I'll go with unexpected. I, I did not see
1: that coming. And something that
4: I think is interesting to think about with Paul George, he was a number one option in Indiana and, look, they went Game 7 with those heats. Like, they had a legitimate chance to go to a NBA Finals. I don't think they were champions, but he was the best player on a team that was right there on the doorstep. When he got to Oklahoma City, what was interesting was that a guy like that was so willing to play with a dominant figure like Russell Westbrook and actually had his best season playing as a number two. But when they got to the playoffs, he wasn't a dude that you could count on. And it seems weird that you, you might be able to better count on him as the number one than the number two. Like, almost if he's the number two, he's like, okay, this other guy's got it. You know, you don't really need too much for me. But they needed everything that he gave them, right? Because that roster, it really stands out without Kawhi. When you look at Paul George and then see who else is out there, like, that's not a team that should win a game in the second round of the playoffs, except he carried them. And I've had all the jokes about him and the playoff P and everything else he earned all the praise from the way he performed in that game.
1: Which one do you expect to win a game 6 more, the Bucks at home against the Nets or or the Clippers to close it out against the Jazz? Which one would you choose if you had to choose only one?
4: I am silly enough to believe that the Bucks are still going to win that series. And Kevin Durant put in such a superhuman performance in that game and James Harden basically was there. Like, they were playing 4-on-5 four with him on the floor. And that was why Bootenholzer, it was such an indictment of him that nobody went out of their way to attack James Harden and that hamstring. When Chris Paul went on that running game Four against the Nuggets, it was because they were relentlessly attacking Michael Porter Jr. Like, they had made the call, this dude can't guard anybody. We're going to go at him, at him, at him. And they didn't do that in Milwaukee. And so... I still think that everything is there for them to win that series just because outside of Kevin Durant, the Nets don't have anything. But they got to go inside and they got to play like their big people are big people. Because if you really think about this series, the most underrated thing that Milwaukee has is they're, the, the Nets literally have no one capable of guarding Brook Lopez if they just set him up on the block every possession and gave him the ball. And they'll never do that. And I don't understand why he's 27 feet <laughs> from the basket when nobody could guard him he's right next to it
1: that is a good point that is a good point and and then you know we had Kendrick Perkins on the show yesterday he says watch the Nets bench uh every time um Giannis makes a jump shot they're clapping because he's not going to the rim and yeah you know and so maybe just maybe they do get this thing straight and on the straight and narrow and they force a game seven I I don't and then and then we'll see obviously who, who whoever wins that series who they play next and I kind of feel for the Hawks because you know we're we're a Northeast and an East Coast biased uh, media, and even though we're sitting out here in Los Angeles, Bamani Jones, but uh, the Sixers, you know, disintegrating is the story that everyone's talking about, and Trey Young is doing what he's doing along with the Nate McMillan coached Hawks. Can you put in perspective uh, from your from your point of view what Trey Young is doing right now?
4: Okay, so I want to preface this by saying that I grew up rooting for the Atlanta Hawks, and then that ceased on February 24th, 1994, when somebody got the bright idea that trading the greatest player in the history of your franchise for a couple of months of Danny Manning was a good idea. (laughs) I left, and I never came back. And you know what? Haven't missed him once. Have not at all, because what have the Hawks ever done to provide happiness for their fan base? I don't recall seeing it at any point in my life, until (laughs) now. Like, this is a fun team. This is a team that has weapons. And Trey Young, even though I hate what I call his whole insurance fraud uh, strategy of playing offense, where he's just jumping in front of you and then slamming on the brakes so you can run into him and he can get a settlement. Like, you go to his house, you look in the closet, there's a bunch of neck braces for every time that he has pulled this little scam off. But he is so, like, the best thing about him, and Ben Simmons being in this series allows you to see what this contrast is. If you were to ask me which of those two guys I thought was a better player, I would tell you that Ben Simmons is a better player just because he's such an elite defender and Trey Young is one of the worst defenders in the league. However, you get to this place where we are in the postseason, and if you're on a 6-0 run, Trey Young can decide that it's not going to be an 8-0 run. Like, I'm going to come down here and I'm going to get a bucket. You need a guy in the postseason who is capable of doing that, and he is that dude. And so for the Hawks, you could go to some advanced numbers and probably even find some guys on that roster that might even qualify as being better players than Trey Young. But nothing at this time is more important than a guy when everybody else is getting tight that can just say, all right, boys, I got this. And everybody look at him and say, you know what, he probably does. And that's what he's been for them this entire postseason.
1: He sure has been. And I was, uh, I was uh, preparing my audience at the top of the show, Bomani Jones, that if Trey Young advances – get ready for the take that the, the Hawks were, were right to trade Luka <laughs> for him. I'm getting everyone prepared for that hot take. Oh, it's
4: so funny that people keep like relitigating that trade. And I feel like in Sacramento, they got to be like, yeah, just don't talk about us. Like DeAndre <laughs> Ayton, that seems to be working out. Trey Young, that seems to be working out, right? Like all you could hope for is I would like for this thing to work out. Mm-hmm. And it's worked out for these guys. Meanwhile, Marvin Bagley's up there in Sacramento, and ain't nothing working out there. I don't even know if he's working out. Like, literally, I have no idea if he's lifting weights.
1: <laughs> Bomani Jones here uh, on the Rich Eisen Show. How do you uh, crystal ball it with Aaron Rodgers? How do you think that's going to work out? Uh, I just
4: don't think he ain't going to play for them again. Like, mm. he, he seems so resolute on, I don't want to play for you guys anymore. And so the Packers are just going to have to make the decision about if they're willing to trade him and where they're willing to trade him. And I'll be honest, if I was the Packers, it's not like there's going to be another draft before the season starts, right? Like It's not like somebody's going to be able to give you some capital that you can really use this season. If he says he wants to sit at the house, I would let him sit at the house. But they need to understand they blew this. They, they somehow did not know Aaron Rodgers as well as us strangers know Aaron Rodgers. And the second that you made that pick, you made the move to the future. And so he made his move to the future, and then he messed around and had his best year that he had in who knows how long. And now they want to keep him around. and He's like, nah, man, I'm good. And I bet he's willing to do the Carson Palmer and go to the house.
1: Yeah. I, 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 I don't, I don't know how, where, where he where he winds up this year, then I don't see green Bay trading him. It doesn't make sense to trade him now for assets that he's only going to improve, um, for, for the team that, that acquires him, you know, that's
4: a great point. And, and, and <laughs> trade him away at that first round pick because of the 28.
1: Well, that's what I, that's what I'm saying is that, you know, waiting for next year when, when the team that wants to acquire Rogers is finished with their season of being terrible, that's a better draft pick for Green Bay to acquire then, and I also don't see a better spot for Aaron Rodgers to win now. Like the places that might acquire him are not Tampa Bay ready. You know what I mean? they' I, I don't. You know, obviously Rodgers is talented enough to do what Brady did last year, which is to go to a new team and make it his own fast. And but it, there still wouldn't even be an off season to do that. You know, I, I I don't know what palatable options there are for Rodgers to win a Super Bowl. This year, other than the the one of going back to Green Bay, and then figuring out where he goes from there, I don't, I just don't know, Bamani,
4: You know? Yeah, I I agree. I don't I don't see any easy. There, there's no team like like you say. There's no team like Tampa Bay was that is an Aaron Rodgers away from being a Super Bowl contender that I can think of. That doesn't already have a quarterback. Like I I, I just can't think of who the team is that's going to be that. I am just fascinated by the idea that. He is so sick of them and, coincidentally, so rich that if he wants to, he can just say, I'm not going to play for you guys, right. period, right. and just not show up. And I wish I was that free. Like when Magic Johnson showed up that day and quit his job and told us before he even told his boss, I was like, man, I wish I was that free. I would never <laughs> do anything like that. But I would love to have that kind of freedom and flexibility in my life just be like, "Nah, I, I just ain't doing this job. No and then uh. move on. And Aaron Rodgers seems to be there and at that place. And if that's how he feels, like there's nothing for us to say. If he's willing to give them back millions of dollars to never play for them, then bless his heart. And if I'm the Packers, he's going to have to show us that he's willing to give us back millions of dollars. And if he is, it might be embarrassing to us. But, I mean, at least he meant it.
1: couple more uh, minutes left with Bomani Jones. The right time with Bomani Jones podcast. Uh, the ESPN uh, host as well as analyst here on the Rich Eisen Show. Uh, 27 years ago is when uh, O.J. hopped in that uh, white Ford Bronco. I remember where I was. Where were you on that oh, day? I know
4: exactly where I was. I'm from Houston. We were watching the game. That's right. And the next thing you do, it was all on the screen. And I am young enough that, like, I didn't fully understand the magnitude of O.J. Simpson. Like, he was the broadcaster to me. Right. Not, you know, the hero of an entire generation. And it was just the strangest thing in the world when the people were over there. It was like the quote-unquote chase itself. I didn't find that to be so bizarre. Is when the people started showing up at the overpass. And keep in mind, this isn't like the Internet era. You know, we were operating on some analog technology to people to find out what was going on, decide they wanted to get their little moment of fame. And they were out there. And, man, that year and a half did not do good things for America, let me tell you.
1: Yeah, I, I remember it was um Rockets Knicks. Is what it was. Yep. Is the uh, NBA Finals, Rockets Knicks right there in the middle of 27 years ago. And I remember um you know, they 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 had a split screen. Um on on the game 5 of the NBA Finals and on, on one screen was the was the Bronco and then the other screen in the other square was um was an actual Big time NBA Finals basketball game with Hall of Famers playing in it. You know, future and, and Hall of Famers. Never forget
4: this part. This is, I think, the easiest thing to forget about that. He worked at NBC. That's right. At the time, can you imagine that? Like they're running the broadcast, and your coworker <laughs> is, is evading a murder charge. It appears while this is all going on. Like I, I would have loved to have seen the email chain at NBC. Like, right, what in the world are we about to do?
1: Yeah, I was at I was at my post Medill School of Journalism graduate uh, graduation dinner with friends in a Chicago bar and just for you know Watson giggles when the whole place was just standing around the television set and just like their jaws down on the ground watching the square with the white Ford Bronco I was the Nick fan screaming it was a flagrant foul <laughs> and the stares I got from people like what the hell is your problem <laughs> um, but it was fun. You know, that was just my way of just kind of breaking the tension. Cause man, it was tense. That is for sure. You know, that was wild back in that day, 27 years ago. Bomani, I always appreciate our conversations. Um, let's uh, I, I look for my call as we go through these NBA finals and throughout the summer and, and beyond. I really appreciate it.
4: No problem, man. You guys have a good one.
1: I really enjoy uh, everything uh, that Bomani Jones brings to the table. Whenever we have a conversation. He's such a great way of putting things, such a unique um, take on things. I mean, just what he said, just an abject abject failure was a means to success. That's the process, right? It was. And then for those who may not be aware, he's talking about Dominique Wilkins being traded away for for Daniel Manning. Right. Right. A couple couple months of Daniel uh, and,
0: and lost in the uh, the Bronco chase and the NBA five. the Knicks won the game to go up oh, three dude. two in the series. I remember,
1: series. No, <laughs> I remember that. that's when John Starks uh, had a terrible Game Six and an uh, even worse Game Seven and even worse Game Seven like the worst Game Seven in the history of Game Sevens. No, actually, I think Starks had a good Game Six and then you know the Knicks one for seventeen. I think or something that, or something. Yeah, and then seven. the Knicks got I I just don't remember it's been blacked out. They got hosed.
0: And if you haven't seen it, the thirty for thirty called June 17th, 1994, is one of the best. There's no narrator. They just used uh, you know, the, the broadcast and all the news reports that went throughout the day because it was also Arnold Palmer's final appearance in the U.S. Open. The World Cup was starting. Uh, the Rangers were having their parade yep. after finally winning the Stanley Cup. It's an amazing sports day in history.
1: I think we're going to play this uh, in the Peacock-only segment is when the, the famed uh, big-time documentary uh, about O.J. Simpson was out uh, on ESPN, the one that won the Oscar because yeah. they also yeah. put it in the theaters. We had uh, Gil Garcetti, who was the DA at the time, and I asked him because the, the, about the, the white Ford Bronco chase that never was brought to bear in the trial. I don't recall it was ever brought up in the trial because the thing that was most shocking about this day 27 years ago is because all of us, whether it's because we saw him run the way that he ran Mm -hmm. as a Buffalo Bill, we saw the way that he ran as a spokesman for Hertz through through the the airport, (laughs) the way that we saw him on the silver screen, the way that we loved him on the air on NBC, nobody believed that he would be capable of a double murder. Nobody, not a soul believed that this was a guy who would be capable of committing what he committed on that day in Los Angeles. And when he went on the white Ford Bronco, low speed chase, it was obvious he was avoiding something. He was avoiding arrest. He was running from something. And we were stunned like, oh my God, he is guilty. Otherwise, why would he be running? What is he doing? Why would he be hopping in in this white Ford Bronco? Why would he be suicidal? Why would he be saying, I just need to go home. Just let me go home. I want to see, you know, home. Why would he be saying that if he was innocent? And I asked Gil Garcetti that question. We're going to play that during our Peacock Only segment. 844 204 rich is the number to dial right here on The Rich Eisen Show. We'll turn our page to baseball. What Garrett Cole had to say last night was something else before Jeff Passen joins us in Hour 3. At what point did you realize that whatever slam dunk evidence you had wasn't going to be enough to convict O.J.
2: Simpson? As a good CEO, I have to be prepared to handle any eventuality. In a criminal case, there are only three eventualities. A guilty verdict, which I did not expect, but I knew what to say if we got a guilty verdict. A hung jury, which I expected, I knew what to say. But if we got a not guilty, boy, I really didn't know what to say because it be viewed as a racial verdict. It wouldn't be just horrible for you know, the city of Los Angeles, my office, but for the entire nation. Mm-hmm. So I tasked my staff, what do I say? They came up with zero. Then I heard that President Carter was coming into town. So I don't know him, but a little chutzpah here. I reached out to him, said, Mr. President, could I meet with you about the O.J. Simpson case? And he said, yeah, sure. We go into a room by ourselves, and I go through the scenarios with him. And he looks at me, and it's getting like cold cocked in the stomach unexpectedly. said, like, Gil, they're coming back not guilty. And I guess I must have looked shocked, surprised, and said, well, of course he did it. Everyone knows he did it, but he's not a street thug. He's not a danger to anyone else. And you and I know that many innocent black men have been convicted in this country, and some executed. This is payback time. There's nothing that you can say, it's gonna make this easy. There's nothing I can say. It's gonna take a number of years before black and white people really start talking to one another. This is what President Jimmy Carter said to you. Jimmy Carter. There's also another element we've never talked about I don't think anyone else has ever talked about. Please. And that is the timing of the indictment. The defense made, I think, the most strategic, brilliant decision that we did not expect and that is we're gonna to go to trial immediately. In other words, we're not gonna quote wave time, which is a legal jargon for giving up your constitutional right to a speedy trial. And in a murder trial like this, if it takes a year, two years before the case goes to trial, that's normal, but they knew what we knew. They knew that the sympathy, the disbelief that OJ could have done this is going to dissipate, and to sooner or later, We're going to find more evidence, specifically evidence that he was in fact wearing the Bruno Molle shoes that were the shoe prints at the scene of the murder that he claimed, I've never owned any Bruno Molle shoes. Is this still an open case, Gil? (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Excuse me for laughing, but no. 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 OJ Simpson's guilty of murdering, brutally murdering, Ron Goldman and Nicole Brown Simpson, end. Period. Exclamation mark.
1: Go to our YouTube page for the full conversation. It's intense. There's no other way to put it. It's from five years ago. 844-204-RICH is the number to dial here on the Rich Eisen Show. Jeff Passant's coming up from ESPN. Uh, can't wait to have a conversation with him uh, about uh, what's going on in baseball. And when Jacob DeGrom throws nine uh, straight outs eight of them strikeouts, three perfect innings and comes out and he's hurting his shoulder. And now that's like three straight starts where he just can't make it through. And you're hearing um, Glass now, Tyler Glass now of Tampa say he's hurt because he's not able to put anything on the baseballs anymore. And that he wasn't doing anything terribly illegal. I mean, sun sunscreen and rosin has been used for a long time, I guess that's all he wanted But to try and take out what people are using that's insane, like spider tack, like stuff that's being used by general contractors to make sure your house doesn't fall down, to put that on your hand so you get a better grip on the baseball and a better spin rate. And baseball trying to knock off all of that cheating is now making everybody go cold turkey. Well, now pitchers are pushing back and saying, um, what... The F, because we're now being told by baseball, if you're caught, you're going to be suspended and and kicked out of a game. And they're like, well, we got to have something. Let's figure out what the something is. Is it going to be something that's going to be generally accepted? Baseball says, this is fine. It's on the mound. You use it, full plain sight. Players don't mind it. Managers don't mind it. As long as no other pitchers are using anything crazier than this, we're cool. You can get the grip you want. You're not going to get hurt. Hitters are fine with it. They don't feel like they're going to get anything in their face, literally, because a player has bad grip on the baseball. It seems like there is that consensus out there, but it also appears, based on what one of the best pitchers in baseball, and Garrett Cole, who last we heard from him on the subject, had a... Brutal answer when asked point blank. Do you use spider tack? Again, spider tack is this substance that if you just go online and see it, when when they it's tough to open the container of it because it's so sticky. The substance inside it, and that when you take the top of it off, it kind of <laughs> what I saw it kind of looked like a, a a smokeless tobacco sort of you know, yeah, a little tin, little tin, yeah, you know, and and it opens up. You take the top off and then it the material doesn't snap off. You literally have to yank it to separate the top of the container to the bottom of the container. And then when you take it off, you can connect cinder blocks together with it. (laughs) Yeah, It's a construction material. And so when, when, when Cole was asked point blank, do you use spider tack? And he gave a word salad that really, um, was an offense to the words word and salad. (laughs) I love a good set. But this was something else. Cole last night said he spoke to last Night. He reached out to him, pitcher to pitcher, man to man, and somebody who deserved empathy and sympathy for going cold turkey and now saying it caused him to hurt his arm and be out for what he hopes is only the rest of the regular season. And it sounds like baseball isn't soliciting advice from the pitchers that they're telling to go cold turkey here you go
3: we are aligned in, in a lot of areas with the commissioner's office on this and um, please just please just talk to us please just work with us I know you have the hammer here but um, you know there there's there's uh, we've been living in a gray area for so long um, I would just hate to see players get hurt I would, I would hate to see balls start flying at people's heads I had a really tough time gripping the baseball tonight uh, especially early when it was windy, so um, I don't really care to be inflammatory here, Joel. I just uh, so I'm just going to leave it at that.
1: He's referring to Joel Joel Sherman, who's been covering baseball for the New York Post forever. and a day, man, I'll just say it again what I said yesterday. The thing I'm taking out of this that makes me really nervous and concerned about the sport that I love. There's a collective bargaining agreement conversation that is right there on the horizon. It messed with the sport last year when they couldn't come to grips on what type of season they would have during COVID, where they ran into all of these financial roadblocks that showed the lack of trust and the lack of, bipartisanship to get a season done it was bad it looked like you know a number of times I came here and just said just get it done we don't want to sit through any labor negotiations during a pandemic for crying out loud and whatever finally got done last year it didn't bring the two sides together If if they're not talking to the pitchers What that seems to me, and we'll ask Jeff Passan, who definitely would know better than me, is they're not talking to the Players Association. Because that's the conduit to talk to the players is the association. And if the league, Central Baseball, according to one of the star pitchers, is basically begging through the media to be part of the solution, you could sit here and say, well, we don't let the guys who are robbing the bank figure out how to solve the bank robbing problem. Right, right. But there is a manner in which everybody can finally smartly sit down and figure this thing out. And if the pitchers are saying, talk to us, please, begging. This is apparently a communication problem that's worse than we thought and is only going to manifest itself in a very, very negative manner when they're sitting down and talking about billions upon billions of dollars. I'm nervous that this is the latest canary in a coal mine that's going to wind up with a nuclear winter on the other side. Hope I'm wrong. Jeff Passan will talk about this and hopefully give us some good news about Jacob deGrom's shoulder and so much more. That's next on The Rich Eisen Show in hour number three in the middle of June. One of the other items that Jeff Passan is going to be talking about is, you know, apparently, one of the reasons why a lot of these pitchers are going cold turkey is that the league has essentially told all the teams these are the pitchers we know through our investigation and video evidence have been violators of what we're trying to stop. They've already these pitchers have already been informed. We don't want to embarrass you. We don't want to suspend you. Here is your heads up on how to get ready for the brave new world we are instituting because we, for whatever reason, did not find find the gumption or didn't see fit to do it before the season. and that we feel compelled to do, right now mid-season because all y'all couldn't stop putting this garbage on your hands hmm. you could have all been going to town with your 50 what pf sunblock and you could have been <laughs> you could you, no, honestly you could be with your bullfrog and your rosin all you want yeah if you if if some of y'all couldn't stay away from this garbage called spider tack or whatever the hell else they're using that people use on construction sites to make sure your house doesn't fall down. If you if if some of your colleagues just couldn't stay away from this stuff and go crazy about it and tweet about it and and and, and allow and, and then bring about all of these no-hitters and these crazy spin rates. You could have had all the rosin and sunscreen you wanted, but now we feel we have to do it. And but it, it can't be a cold turkey situation, like no, like come up, like come up, smart, people. come up with a substance that you something can, that you can use. can use that that the hitters feel I'm not going to be put out of a job, and hitting coaches don't feel. Man, those pitching coaches over there are telling these guys to put that stuff on, and right. they've been telling them to do it yeah, since college. Exactly. Mom's going to be out of a job, too. And the commissioner's office isn't sitting there saying it's another 2 1 game that takes three and a half hours. Jeff Passon, so much to talk about with him coming up from the worldwide leader in sports. And we'll check on Phil Mickelson's first round at the Open.